Involvement with the criminal justice system is life-changing. It matters. Having a justice system that works is a really important part of a democratic society. I'm Penelope Gibbs, Director of Transform Justice. I'm Rob Allen. I've worked in and around criminal justice all my career. This is the Transform Justice podcast. Throwing light on the criminal justice system. Hearing from people who know. It's about whether the system's fair. And what can be done to make it better. We're going to turn the tables. So far, we've mostly talked about people accused or convicted of crime. But today we'll discuss what victims really want. It's timely since the government has introduced a victim's bill whose aim is to improve victims' experiences of the justice system. And the Independent Commission on the Experience of Victims and Long-Term Prisoners has just reported. Rob and I are joined by Lucy Jaffe, director of the charity Why Me, and Darren Frost, who was at Fishmongers Hall in November 2019 when he witnessed the killing of Jack Merritt and Saskia Jones by Usman Khan. And Darren, I think we'll need a, a, a couple of sentences description of what actually happened. So I was asked to attend an event at Fishmongers Hall hosted by Learning Together. And um, there were a number of uh, people who had either been in prison or were still in prison in attendance. Two of those people included Steve Gallant and John Crilly. So on this day, one of the other attendees was uh, a convicted terrorist. And during the recess, he strapped two knives to his hands and uh, what looked like a, a bomb to his chest and he attacked people um, and then we chased him out of the hall myself Steve John and Lucas and we tackled him to the ground and held him there until police came and shot him dead. Thanks very much Darren. Lucy, the Independent Commission says victims are treated differently according to whether they fit a particular mould. And some police officers that the Independent Commission talked to use the expression genuine victim. Do, do you come across this? This is a constant refrain we hear. And I mean, the case of uh, Mina Smallman, whose two daughters were brutally murdered. Um, I mean, she speaks about um, being ignored when her, her daughters were reported missing. And um, she felt that she wasn't treated as a genuine victim by police, uh, who then didn't send out a search. And it was family and friends who eventually found them. So she's really consistent um, about her message to police which is you have to treat everyone with equity and we also have people who are routinely ignored in wanting restorative justice which is a constructive dialogue between people who've been harmed by a crime and it is uh, enables people to talk about what happened how they've been affected and what should happen next uh, so we have a real issue with gatekeeping um, in the criminal justice system. Darren in your experience do you think victims are treated differently according to their role and background and, and situation? I think uh, there's a lot of factors that play into this. Um, there were many victims on the day from Fishmongers Hall and there were many people who responded, uh, two of which were people who had previous criminal convictions. And I remember afterwards, uh, work for me, the Minister of Justice, asked me, what do you need? What can we do for you? And I had one request 
and it was to treat the prisoners who responded on that day the same as you treat me. And unfortunately, that wasn't what happened. Um, For example, Steve Gallant wasn't allowed to attend Jack's funeral. And Steve Gallant had a personal relationship with uh, Jack Merritt. Um, He had been mentored by him. And we see once people have committed a crime, they're no longer allowed to have human emotions. So he wasn't allowed to go through that process, which is a big, important part of dealing with the grief. Going to that funeral really helped me deal with what was going on. I had been excluded from all other uh, victims. I'd been told by the police not to contact anyone at all. I felt very isolated. Now imagine someone in prison who's even further isolated and has no access to that. The funeral and the wake is a point where you can come together and you can mourn, you can grieve, you can share those experiences. And he was denied that. I don't think victims are always at the center, and I do think that they are treated differently depending who, on who they are. The way that the media responded about myself compared to the prisoners was also, you could see it was the perfect situation, the perfect storm to have this conversation because it, it's really difficult. Can you even call those individuals a hero because of what they've done in the past? But they're putting their lives at risk to save others but they're not valued in the same way because they've done something wrong many, many years ago. It's very, very, very weird. Lucy, the Independent Report has a powerful quote from a victim who says, as a victim, I realised my voice has no power, my voice had no meaning. Is that powerlessness as a result of something to do with our criminal justice system? The... Criminal justice system currently works on an adversary basis where the state stands in and prosecutes the crime on behalf of society. And victims are very, very much on the periphery. If you look at the budgets of the Ministry of Justice, it's seven, around seven billion. If you look at what's put into victim services, it's an absolutely tiny proportion of that. Victims of crime often feel powerless. They can't ask questions in court. You can only make a statement. You can't say, why did you do that? You know, what, what were you thinking? What's your life? Um, what do you think that did to me? Uh, you can only tell your story. And even that, there's no guarantee that what's going to happen. And then you're, you're swept along. You're kind of a bit part in a system which is actually supposed to be delivering justice to you. So we hear time and time again at Why Me that victims really want their voices to be heard. They want choices um, and they need information. Darren, did you feel that you had no power? From the moment the police arrived was the moment that I lost power. The terrorist had said to me inside the hall that he had a bomb. He had shown it to us and he said that he was waiting for the police and that that was when his trigger to blow this thing up. So I thought, if I let go of this guy's hands, he's going to trigger this bomb and kill all the police who had just arrived. And the police took their power from me straight away. They didn't listen to me. I had a sense of control in that insane situation until the moment the police came. And then when it came to the justice process, they were very intense in getting information from me. It was all about what they could take. It wasn't about what they could do for me. Um, Even to the the extent that I was really traumatized by this event and I'd seen another girl who had been stabbed eight times and I kept asking, how is the second girl? How is the second girl? Because I'd unfortunately seen the first girl pass away. Um, 
And I kept asking that and no one told me anything. It took three weeks for me to find out that the second girl had actually survived, even though that was causing me so much stress and trauma. Three weeks I only found out by accident by um, through the learning together. So yeah, I, I was less than powerless. All power was taken away from me. The inquest was very much focused on getting the outcome that the justice system wanted. So Darren, you, you gave evidence at the at the inquest. You had the opportunity to to an extent tell tell the story, but you didn't have the opportunity to ask those questions that you wanted to ask. Not at all. They didn't care about any questions that I may have had or any of the other victims that were there. Before we went in, um, they came and they explained the process to us. And I actually said, what if we've got any questions ourselves? And the response was, well, we've got that covered. We know what questions to ask. So this is the whole thing. Victims don't have any choice, any say, any voice. And and when they talk about... Um, justice is done it's whose justice i wanted to know why didn't the police help me restrain him why didn't they listen to me that has been the things that have messed with my mental well-being and i've still never and i don't think i ever will get the chance to ask those questions this isn't justice for the victim and that's what we say we're getting justice for but we're not we're getting justice in a certain system that works for the justice system, it doesn't work towards or for victims. I completely agree. I think we need a pro-victim culture if we are going to continue with an adversarial system. And I would strongly support as well the, I think we might be coming to this, the victim bill. This great once in a generation opportunity to have a victim law, to really give victims rights. Victims could have a distinct legal status. So where victims can have their own representation and that we also ensure that people who are victim of crime are informed at every single stage. I mean, recently I had, I was victim of crime. Someone tried to steal my bike while I was on it and attacked, you know, attacked me basically. I got very, very good treatment by the police. I was thinking, is this because I'm a, you know, I'm a white older woman, you know, and I look like I'm the kind of right format for a victim. But they didn't inform me about victim code of practice or restorative justice. And all the questions, very politely put, may I say, were all about detecting the crime. All about detecting the crime. I mean, they're very kind, you know, and took me to hospital and various, you know, took my bike home. I thought that was an excellent A-star service. But, they, you know, it wasn't effective in terms of championing victims' rights. So, so we were talking about the new victims' bill, Lucy. Do you think it misses a trick in assuming that for victims, justice is always criminal justice? I mean, one of the things we do know is that there's a lot of unreported crimes and that is disproportionately amongst communities who don't trust the police. Um, but, you know, a number of cases where people are like, well, if I go to the police station, am I actually going to get, you know, treated seriously? I think we need to do more and the Victims Bill could do more around um community responses prior to the case actually becoming criminalised. Many, many people don't want to go through court, spend time being a witness. Um, that it can be doubly traumatising. So this victim bill could have measures and funding which would enable uh, us to divert cases from court um, and use alternative uh, ways of addressing harm, such as restorative justice. 
So do you think the government assumes that nearly all victims want their day in court and that's why the Victims Bill is how it is? The Victims Bill, as proposed, is totally focused on going through court. It's quite myopic um, in that when Me talks to uh, victims of crime, they're saying, I just wanted answers. I mean, one thing I would really say is not all victims of crime are the same or want the same thing or have the same needs. And it is really, that is so super important. I can see Darren nodding. I mean, it's, you know, if you talk to one victim of crime who has their laptop stolen, you know, they may, it could have had the photographs, and we know a case of this, of their child who was killed in a car accident three weeks before. That's a case I know about. It's devastating. All the photographs of her child were on there. Another laptop, you might think, well, I've got it backed up. It's annoying, but I'll go and get another one. You know, so there's kind of two different impacts. Um, and so I would just always go back to, we're not all the same. Our, our life and our context in which things happen are not the same. And whatever legislation we see needs to recognise that. The other, the other thing we need to do is offer, offer victims of crime alternatives to reporting and also ways of finding justice. The Victims Bill, I think what they're proposing sounds good. It's about giving victims a voice. But I think it's a bit of a red herring, really, because if you read through it, it's giving the victims a voice in the process. But my issue is with the process, because having as loud a voice as you want in this rigid process or system doesn't really matter if you can't have a choice in what their outcomes may be. If you look at the stats, three in five don't feel uh, they're able to report the crime. And this is the government's response. They say one in three victims withdraw from prosecution before justice is done. Now, that's my big issue. Who's justice? Because as Lucy was saying, justice will be different for everyone. And there's no point in this process where we ask the, the victim, what would justice be for you in your case? May mean that it's a very different outcome that that victim wants. And I think we should ask that victim at the start and at the middle of the process because their views may change depending where they are in, the, in, in their whole process of dealing with whatever happened to them. In your case, if you had had that kind of choice, I mean, what would you have chosen? Would you have, have asked for anything particular to help you get over the, the trauma that you'd experienced? For me, the biggest trauma was seeing the impact on everyone around after the event. For me, it would be asking those victims, those people really close to what happened, what they want, what they feeling. A lot of them felt like they didn't even matter, that their involvement wasn't seen or noticed um, because the justice system selects whether or not you give evidence or not, whether or not your your involvement was important enough. I think every one of those people who were there had something to say and they never got the chance to have that voice. Um, so I think my case is really unique because it's not an individual crime against me. It's a community-based one. So I don't think what I want on my own necessarily carry anything in that situation. Lucy, moving on to kind of um, what another aspect of what victims want, a lot of the sentencing changes, so the increases in, say, prison sentences over the last few years have been put through by the government in the name of victims. Do you think the government is reading 
victims use right in raising sentences? I'd say it's the kind of easy and also the most damaging thing that the government can do. A longer sentence does not compensate a victim for the failure of the system. It does not provide them with the support they need to recover from the trauma of the crime. We work with people at YME who are pleased that somebody is in prison and never wants them to be released. So there is a variety of views. But if you look uh, at what many people want, their top, top priorities for that person, if they're alive, never to do it again and for there to be no more victims. But I would also say that you know a substantial number of victims likes to see that people are punished um but actually afterwards at the end of their day in court often feel deflated what next i'm now discarded i'm no longer needed so yeah it's hugely it doesn't really meet uh victims needs uh the the current system if, if i could just give an example um just before fishmongers hall i was supporting a young lady who was experiencing domestic abuse at home and the the partner he had a child and he was saying well if you report this to the police and I go to prison my child will grow up fatherless and this is on you she didn't want to carry that with her so which all she wanted was to be able to be safe so to report it and to have that person kept away from her but as soon as it was reported she lost all control because all decisions were made for her by the police and they were pushing for a prosecution and there was this this moment where you have a choice either you get our support and you push for a prosecution or you don't get our support and now when you're speaking to a woman who's in a vulnerable position that's a very difficult thing difficult place to put them in where you have this binary choice of you say yes or no, and if you say yes, all power is taken from you and we will do everything that we think is right without consultation of what you think or feel. And that's the problem at the moment. And the moment it feels like, you know, there's a bunch of people like us who are really angry. I'm really, really angry about the way that victims are consistently failed. And you go, you know, here's the evidence, here's the evidence, here's the evidence. And that is routinely ignored. And we know that victims need to feel safe you know, and if we have a system that's failing people, not going out to look for missing people because of the profile of a certain victim, not keeping people safe who are being beaten up in their homes is absolutely appalling. You know, this government, I did give them their due, victims law, first time we've ever had it. Let's see it really have teeth. And the other aspect of it is totally underfunded. I mean, the Victims Bill is, you know, the funding associated with that is completely insufficient to deliver what's even within the bill, let alone what's not within the bill. Um, and I want to see people in Parliament getting really angry about this too, but I don't see it. I see, you know, champions like Jess Phillips, Stephen Timms, you know, he was a victim of a terrorist attack, jumping up, but not in a consistent way. Politicians are held hostage to this idea that, oh, yeah, what victims want is longer sentences. Actually, what victims want is to feel safe. Uh, they want to fit, and whatever means there is to do that, and they want to have their voices heard. And prevent further victims. And what I wonder is when you go through mental health, I've gone through some mental health support and stuff. What's really interesting there is the psychologist or the doctor, they will ask you, what do you think you need to get better? Even though I have no expertise in psychology, or men, but they ask you, and that's empowering. And in the justice system, we never ask the victim 
what they want or what would justice be to them. And I think that for me is a key issue because it's empowering to have choice, even if it doesn't actually affect the outcome that you had a say, that you were able to share your voice of what you wanted is what's really powerful. You've you've both talked very eloquently about the shortcomings of the adversarial system and the current way we we deal with with this. But Lucy, can I ask you, your your organization promotes and practices restorative justice, which offers a, a different approach, which tries to empower victims, tries to resolve uh, crimes in a, in a very different way. What what do you think are the key things that it offers that the current system doesn't? Well, restorative justice can run in parallel to the justice system and as an alternative, just to be really clear. And then you get opportunity, if both parties agree, to ask questions and have what is basically a human encounter with the person you identify as a harmer that can either be the direct person who committed the crime or it can be uh, somebody such as Darren's mentioned you know he's got some questions for the police uh, you know and as soon as you hear that someone has questions it's like well who do you want to ask those questions to um, and is it is it safe to proceed and then we would prepare both parties to do it so restorative justice gives people an opportunity to, to ask questions but also to say how they feel and to listen to each other and then to agree a way to move forward. In fact, in the use of restorative justice and out-of-court disposals, so we stay out of court and victims are given the option of having a restorative conversation uh, with the person uh, who committed the crime, can be a way of, re- of avoiding going through an often traumatic court process um, and of healing yourself and also for the other person to realise, the person who committed the crime, the impact of the harm that they have caused and to really acknowledge that and face that fact and to take responsibility. In your experience, do, do a lot of victims want to, to take part in that kind of conversation or that kind of meeting? All victims that we know of want to know that's an option. Just over 5% of victims knew about it um, in last year following the British Crime Survey. Um, when they know about it, Approximately 30% want to participate and um, people who participate are overwhelmingly positive about the experience because they say things like, I went from being a victim to a victor. You know, no one was listening to me. I couldn't get answers. And then I got an opportunity to say how I feel. And that just liberated that victim from feeling trapped in the consequences of the original crime. Darren... Are you a fan of restorative justice? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a big fan of restorative justice. Um, and the reason is because I've effectively been going through a process of restorative justice myself. In my position at work, I was a communications manager within the Ministry of Justice and I had to go into prisons and interview prisoners. But the one that struck me the most was I uh, went up to HMP Kirkham. I met a guy and I was talking to him and he was doing a job that um, it was very, it was in a factory that they'd created on site at Kirkham. And he was so positive about this work experience. He told me that he was in his early 30s and he was really thrilled to have this opportunity because when he gets out, he'll be able to get a job in a factory. And so I asked him, well, what did you do before you came to prison for work? 
And he said, I've never worked. Now, we'd been talking for about 15 minutes, so I'd formed my ideas about this very soft, gentle man. And I said, oh, why didn't you work? And he said, well, I came to prison for manslaughter when I was 18, and I've never worked before. And that was my first moment of effectively restorative justice of that dialogue on a human level and having to challenge my own preconceptions of what a murderer is. And so, yeah, I think restorative justice is about empathizing, understanding another person's situation. And as long as it's done in a controlled manner, I think everyone benefits. Lucy, going back to the victim's bill, it doesn't mention restorative justice at all. Why not? Great question. It's very liberating for both victim and offender to speak to each other. And it's just you two talking to each other. And I think there's a a fear that then the state loses control of that conversation and then what people want. We are fighting very strongly to get restorative justice into the bill um, and for it to be reinforced within the victim's code. So we're hopeful but when I'm not hanging on my, um, what do you say? Not holding your breath. I'm not, <laughs> certainly not holding my breath. Restorative justice has also got a, uh, a challenge to really prove that it is, can be part of national progress in the way that we as a society can bring better justice to people harmed by crime and to really address the reasons that people commit crime and to help them to realise how much harm that causes and to, you know, not do it in the future. Thanks. We're coming towards the end of, of our discussions. Uh, to put you on the spot, each of you, if you could make one change, if you were Justice Minister and could make one change to the system which would improve the, the voice and the power that victims have in the system, what would that change be? Well, I've spent some time thinking about it. So I would put into legislation a distinct legal status for victims um, who could then be represented in court, but um, who would also have the right to a single point of contact support, which would be along the lines of independent um, sexual violence advocates and domestic violence advocates, where you get the support, but you don't have to report. And of course, that person would know about restorative justice and be able to offer the victim of crime the option of restorative justice and to work with them restoratively. Okay. Uh, Darren, what about you, if you could make one change along those lines? For me, it would be about victim empowerment, not just lip service. So the first thing would be to educate victims, to let them know what are the likely outcomes. Firstly, you set that line in the sand of what they are expecting and let them know how long that process may take. Then uh, facilitating open dialogue about the case, giving information. In my case, gosh, if I could have only known before that that girl had survived, that would have helped me so much. And then the final thing is choice. Asking the victim, what is their preferred outcome? For me, that's where justice should start, is what do you want as a result of this? So yeah, for me, educate, facilitate, and give choice, empower victims. Rob, your one change you'd want? I'd really like to see a big government-wide commitment to raising the profile and the practice of restorative justice, deciding who should be doing it, training people. So we've got it on 
offer much, much more widely than we have at the moment. Thanks, Rob, Lucy and Darren. And if you'd like more information about restorative justice, the Victims' Bill or the Independent Commission, all the info is in our programme notes. And if you have an idea for an issue you want us to discuss, do get in touch. Thanks and goodbye. Goodbye and thank you. Goodbye, everyone.